Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Guys, welcome to the show. This is Paradox it and is I'm paradox. Josh. He is Josh. We're really and excited. I am Jimmy. We can't be excited until you say the name Jimmy. And now we're excited. We also say we're excited to have a lot. Is there a different adjective that we could use to describe ourselves? Giddy. <laughs> we are giddy to have. Overjoyed. Mm -hmm. We have a plethora of positive emotions. There's one word that came to my mind, but I'm not going to say it. Good. We're excited. We're giddy to have one of our own. So we have interviewed in our two years a lot of different folks, but we've never actually done... Presidents. Yep. Heads of state. We've never actually done one of our own employees, and we have today Candace MacArthur. Candace, thanks for joining us. I'm excited to be here, guys. Candace, I, I speak on behalf of the nation when I say, is it as thrilling to work with Jimmy as we would think it would be? <laughs> it <laughs> is a benefit in and of itself. I need no other benefit, really. Let's yeah. be honest here. Do you ever actually see Jimmy around the office? Like once a week, maybe, in his cargo shorts. <laughs> but... You hear me snoring if you walk by the office at a certain time of day. <laughs> you also see him so, tweeting at staff meetings. So I'm still there. <laughs> Candace is one of our therapists. Her degree is actually social working. Have you ever actually done traditional social working? No, I can't say I really have in graduate okay. school. Maybe, but no, not really. So she's a social worker. She's one of our therapists. And she's also the director of our intensive outpatient program. Tell us a little bit in detail what you do here at the center. So, yeah, I'm a therapist, so I see clients on a weekly basis and then recently have become the director for, like you said, the intensive outpatient. And so running that whole program, an intensive outpatient is a lot of words. It basically just, it's a program for people who might need a little bit more counseling than just one hour a week. Um, and so we offer that for several different levels, teenagers, couples, families, um, and adults. So I oversee that program as well and the therapists that run that program. So I would say for, you know, just the average Joe or Joanna, Jojo is what we would call someone whose name is Joanna. The average, you know, husband and wife out there with kids, I would love to hear from you since you kind of see the gambit of, uh, of patient care. When you're talking about, you know, an early adolescent, adolescent, or even up into adults, what is kind of normal behavior that yeah, you don't want to all that worry about? What kind of behavior might say, hey, we may need to go see a therapist, i.e. outpatient. And then what might be the line to say, whew, we may need a little more than that. What can a parent look for to say this is beyond the norm for behavior? Yeah, I mean, I think oftentimes parents will call us, you know, because, oh my gosh, my kid is doing something that I don't think they should do, or my kid is saying things I don't think they should say. And I would say a lot of times just the development of an adolescent is that, doing things and saying things that we don't want them to do or say. Um, but like when I've got a kid on the couch that might be 
feeling like intense feelings of depression, or maybe there's some behaviors that are not really safe that they're engaging in on a regular basis, I would say looking at doing something more intensive might be helpful. Or if there's just conflict in the home, I would say, you know, majority of the time, 60, 70, 80% of the time, it might be good for that kid to come into counseling and the family as well. I think oftentimes mm-hmm. parents like to send their kids and say, our kid is the teenager, fix it. But I often look at it from a lens of, you know, there's a family system happening there. So, Sort of like a Cocker Spaniel. They want to drop them off to get fixed. Yes, <laughs> just like a Cocker Spaniel. I agree. I mean, it, it, it seems like a lot of folks will call us with kind of, quote unquote, to use your words, normal childhood development stuff. And part of our job is just going, he or she's going to be okay. So what might be behaviors that you, okay, this is a little beyond the norm. We're going to take them to see somebody, and it's probably warranted that they go and, and talk to somebody. Well, what would you see in, and let's just keep it adolescence, what would you see in that adolescent to say, this actually may require something more intense than simply talking to a professional? This may need, you know, in our term, an IOP, intensive outpatient. Where's that line, and what is involved in an IOP? Yeah, I would say, like, for a kid that is fully disruptive, like, if a kid is unable, to, if, like, they were getting assignments done at school and now they're getting nothing done and it's been going on for a while, or they've been doing weekly therapy and there's been not a lot of progress, um, if their feelings of depression or anxiety is really high and not really shifting at all, I feel like this oftentimes, like, an IOP is a good kind of, like, step up because the shifts that we're expecting in weekly therapy aren't happening, and so there might be just, you just need more support. Yeah, maybe there's just behaviors like a kid's experiencing some suicidal thoughts or maybe some self-harm stuff that's going on and hasn't made any kind of progress on weekly therapy. I would say an IOP might be good. Um, I'm trying to think of other things we've had kids come in for. Really, whenever there's a shift, of there's not been many shifts in individual mm-hmm. therapy, I would say let's, let's get them in an intensive because the research shows that like a group environment for teenagers is typically more therapeutic than individual one-on-one in a room with an old person. <laughs> Let's be honest, like it's mm-hmm. awkward for teenagers sometimes. Present company excluded, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> is it helpful for adults though? Because uh, we have an intensive outpatient for adults as well. I mean, let's say you're sitting there 40 and can't go to work. Um, is it helpful for them as well? 100%. I think... Uh, one of the biggest lies I think just the enemy would like to say to us is that you're alone and you struggle. And so that's why a, an intensive outpatient program in a group setting is really helpful mm-hmm. because you realize you're not alone. You're not the only one struggling. You haven't, you're not the first person to think this thought or do this thing. Um, and there's ways that are helpful and whatever we can, you know, I think it's helpful to just remember you're not alone. And so um, adults too, I would say, I would say adults more with their, when their depression, anxiety gets worse or like their relationships, oftentimes we'll have couples come in and an adult will be like, you know, my marriage is kind of falling apart. Um, and it might be helpful for one person or both to do our IOP so that they can work on different skills to learn to navigate those things better and in a healthier way. So if I hear you right, it's almost like, well, especially kind of in this, in this way back to adolescence, that if the kind of normal parenting and normal discipline and normal... You know, if that's not really working, you're not seeing any progress, then go to talk to somebody. And if you really don't see any progress there after a while, then possibly an IOP. Yeah. Would that kind of be the, the route? That's kind okay. of the typical trajectory for an IOP, I would say. Um, it's, sometimes we get kids in that automatically go to IOP because 
things are just too intense. Maybe they had a hospitalization recently or something, but yeah, typically the trajectory is things haven't been making progress and this is kind of the next step um, to get that kid the support they need. Our IOP, our intensive program is 10 hours a week. What in the world do you talk to somebody about for 10 hours? And not to get in the weeds, and because we do, we don't want to, you know, we throw things like OP, IOP, and now I'm going to throw DBT in in this, and then it just kind of gets stupid. But, you know, dialect behavioral therapy is what's being done in the IOP. And now that we will never use those letters again, what is it that is happening in the IOP that would be more helpful than just talking to an old fat adult by yourself in a room? (laughs) I tell people all the time when they're signing up for this program is that like, this is the most practical, effective, like tangible therapy somebody could do. It's basically nine hours a week of training, coaching skills on how to create a life worth living. That's what we tell people. We want you to create a life that's worth living because right now what you're doing is clearly not working for you. So it's skills training more than it is. So tell me about how your father beat you as a child. Right. None of that. No, no, no. Candace, that's not funny. I know it's it's not not. funny. I'm trying to like move on from that, Jimmy. (laughs) Fine. How your uncle beat you as a child. Go ahead. Gosh. Still not better. No. Yep. It's uh, not that. It's more about present focused. What's what are you doing in life that's not working for you right now? Specific, setting specific goals, like hey, you know what? Uh, I yell at my kids every single day, and I yell at everybody when I'm angry. And it's I've been fired from four jobs. Say I'm an adult, and that's what's happening. So we're going to talk about and teach you skills on how to decrease that yelling, um, and how to regulate your emotion, that emotion of anger, um, in a better way, so you don't destroy relationships and quit losing jobs. And especially with kids, you know, I've seen that it's like just because, well, not just kids, but in the case you just mentioned, but happens a lot with kids. Just because you're thinking something doesn't mean it has to come out of your mouth. You're teaching skills. How do you short circuit that process? Just because I'm thinking or feeling something doesn't mean I need to verbally express it because that can do me more harm than good. Yeah. A lot of the skills that we teach talk like help a kid. There's a skill called being effective or in the adolescent program, we call it doing what works. And so it's helping them connect to the idea of like, you know what, when I say this, when I'm pissed off at my parents, it always ends in me getting grounded, my phone taken away every single time. And then I'm Mm -hmm. mad and I get really upset. And Mm -hmm. so it's helping them connect to that consequence so that they can do what works rather than continue doing what doesn't work. So it's helping them just kind of zoom out. That's another skill we talk about, zooming out and looking at the big picture of I've got some control here, like, and let's focus on what I can control. And if I focus on what I can control, I'm actually going to have a life that I want and that is worth living. You mentioned two, two kind of skills that you talk about in, in the program. Is there one in particular, maybe a couple that you feel like connect with just about everybody? And, you know, it's kind of the most popular skill that maybe the more, most transformative skill. Yeah, I think, well, there's different sections and I would say the two main sections, in my opinion, that are really helpful are the emotion the emotion regulation skills. So we teach a bunch of skills on how to recognize what you're feeling, because I think so often, especially now in today's society, none of us really know what we're feeling. We're just on our phones or zoned out or just doing the next thing that's on our to-do list. And so we teach a skill um, that just it's just called mindfulness of emotions to say, hey, you know what, I'm actually upset about that, or I'm really sad right now. And just having, giving yourself some space to recognize that as opposed to like avoiding it, right? And so that's a really helpful thing that we teach people. 
Um, but then the other piece is distress tolerance. And the whole idea of those skills is like, life is hard. Like there are things that are difficult to deal with, like traffic on 35 in Austin. That's one of my biggest things. Um, <laughs> and I've got to tolerate that. And I can do that in a way that's healthy and good or a way that's not good. So like self-soothe is one of those distress tolerance skills. Practically speaking, how might you teach self-soothing? Yeah. So we talked about how you connect to your five senses. Self-soothe is always connected to um, what you like. What do you hear that's calming? Can you smell something that's calming? Taste, touch, see, sight, all of those, the five senses. Um, and reminding yourself, like, I can calm myself now by like, like right now I have a cup of coffee and this is something that's calming to me and I can make myself a cup of coffee and enjoy it. And that might help soothe myself for a moment. Um, or for a kid, it might be deep breathing or it might be putting on a song, a song that's really relaxing to you as opposed to, um, listening to something that's really not relaxing, like Jimmy's music, probably not relaxing. But you know, we, we kind of have focused on adolescence, but we also have a group, um, that these these skills are being taught called the you know the high conflict couple group that you know these skills are like a gift from the lord to couples who who rage and argue all the time they just they can't get past their conflicts right now we're doing a a consulting thing with a major business in town teaching how to teach employees how to teach supervisors these skills they're they're sort of universal and so we don't want to just think, oh, well, uh, they're only useful if I've got an ODD teenager. Not at all. I teach them to my four-year-old. Uh, my daughter is what I would call a little sensitive. And so when she feels things, she feels things in a very big way. And uh, my daughter loves to do yoga. It's weird, I know, but she thinks it's really fun. And so mm -hmm. now whenever she gets really kind of worked up or something, she knows she's like, mommy, I need to take some deep breaths in my quiet, in my quiet corner. And she'll like go in her corner and kind of like regulate for a minute. And no, this is not a hundred percent of the time she does this, but like I, we taught her that like, you've got to learn to do this because mommy can't do this for you. And so she now knows like I can go deep breath, take a couple deep breaths and then I can come back and tell you what I'm feeling as opposed to screaming at you what I'm feeling. And sometimes yeah, sometimes I think we, you know, especially guys, because, you know, one of the things we want, we want to bring guys into this discussion of parenting and marriage, and we hear the word mindfulness, and our eyes roll, because we're not going to put on leotards and do yoga, and we're not going to hug a tree, and so this, uh, and chant, no, unless all the seats are full, and, and watching the football game, then I will sit on the floor with my legs crossed. So I think sometimes guys are going to look at this and almost roll their eyes like, oh, this is psycho babble, blah, blah, blah. But it's actually incredibly practical. And you see couples that uh, have been locked in this, you know, their horns have been locked for years in this round and around conflict that come out of that vicious cycle because of learning these skills. The idea of mindfulness scares a lot of people away. I think especially in the in the culture of like the Christian culture, we kind of get a little afraid of that word. But when I break it down for people, I'm like, look, the idea of being mindful is like you're in the present moment. Like you are you are no longer zoning out on your phone all the time or just numbing out or going into that robot mode of like get it done. It's the idea of being aware and paying attention to your surroundings and paying attention to yourself. Um, so it's all about just allowing yourself to wake up 
and be present. Like I think about the couple that might be in that cycle and how often is a wife mad at her husband because she feels like he's just not engaged. I don't even know what he's doing. Like what's going on? And the idea is like that husband can need to feel mindfulness, Mm -hmm. not present. Yeah. It's like, well, we can teach him the skill of mindfulness to go, why am I not present? Where am I? Am I in the future worrying about finances or the budget? Am I in the past dwelling on mistakes that I've made or a, a fight I had at work today? So how do we get ourselves to the present moment so I can be with my wife and my kids or whoever it is in the room and I can be more engaged? So, yeah, we try and break it down. But, yeah, I know I totally get that pushback all the time. But the idea is that you're just aware you're here because this is your life. Now your life didn't happen 30 minutes ago. Your life is right now. Uh, you mentioned the Christian culture. How might Christianity, how might scripture play a role in, in all of this skills-based learning? So when you break down all the skills that we teach in that, in the DBT IOP, those, all those fun letters um, that we do, um, we have created kind of a resource for families to understand that these skills, yes, were created outside of, that culture, but they also align with everything we're taught um, in the Bible. Um, one of the things I think about is there's a verse, a passage in First Thessalonians, that talks about learning how to possess and control your body in holiness and honor. Like, we have to learn how to do this. We have to learn how to relate to people and control our emotions and tolerate life in a healthy way, a healthy and holy way. Um, and it's not something that we just know how to do. Nobody wakes up and is like, I got this thing called life down. Like I can master this. The scripture talks a lot about needing to learn how to do that, teaching our kids, you know, the ways in which we're supposed to live. And so this is a good practical way to do that. So that's that's definitely one of the ways that I feel like it lines up. You know, and if you look at the life of Jesus, I mean, talk about the most mindful, present, uh, you know, able to control emotions person ever. He lived it. And if we're supposed to become more and more Christ-like every day, these skills are certainly things that we need to be improving upon individually. For more information, not only about Candice, our group intensive program, you can go to timothycenter.com. You can also find more information about Candice on her Instagram page. It is at CR underscore MacArthur. Candice, we appreciate you being on today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And there'll be, just so there's no rays involved. In doing oh. the show, okay. Well, <laughs> make sure that was clear. In fact, so you might was... see a lowering of following. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, thank you. All right. Bye, guys. Yeah, my point with the whole thing is just again the practicality of it. So often, I think we assume that counseling is it's a, it is all psychobabble and these words and we're you know we're going to get in touch and we're going to align our chakras and. That's not what this is. From the 12-year-old who throws temper tantrums to the 40-year-old husband who throws temper tantrums, from the wife who is incredibly critical to the husband that just checks out and avoids all conflict. I mean, all of these skills are taught. Again, I hate you do. You kind of sound like the the Old West snake oil salesman, you know, that, hey, this stuff cures gout and menopause. But the DBT skills that are taught are remarkable. And again, we have people that are listening around the globe. So we're not talking just about here. You can get in these groups and learn these DBT skills wherever it is that you live. And there's a, um, uh, what's the high conflict DBT couples book? 
It's just called The High Conflict Couple. Do you remember the author? Nope. We should have really done our research. Yeah, probably. The High Conflict Couple is the is the name of the book. And hopefully you'll find the right author. There should only be one. Hopefully there's only there. one. But my point in saying that is Google this stuff. I mean, there's there's a lot of great free resources out there on the skills in in dialectical behavioral therapy and DBT, both for couples, for kids. It's pretty good stuff. And if you ever want to participate in the Timothy Center's programming, we do the online counseling as well with all of that. In fact, you can even join a group mm-hmm. via the internet in Secure Online. The High Conflict Couple Group, I'd seen a couple for quite some time on and off over several years. And to Candace's point, never got better. The conflict was exactly the same. He was just a stick of dynamite that took just a tiny spark to set him off. She was conflict avoidant. And this dance, this toxic dance had just gone on for years. And the wife reported back just within the first few weeks of the high conflict couple group doing the DBT skills, she said it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. She said they're having conversations that they've never had mm-hmm. in their entire marriage. That's incredible. So it's, yeah, it's, it, we're not just saying it works. People who've gone through it will tell you it's quite remarkable. Guys, if you want more information about this show, paradoxpodcast.com, you can also find us on all the socials there at our website as well. I guess you'd click on the episode tab uh, specifically to find this episode, but certainly check out our other episodes as well. And I guess like, share, review, other things that you might feel like are fun. Yes, please. Take care. See ya. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. And that's what shame does. You know, guilt, appropriate guilt, actually brings us towards our Heavenly Father. It communicates, I have done something wrong. Where shame says you are something wrong, and the last thing we want to do is move towards our Heavenly Father. We want to run, like Adam and Eve did. They didn't have guilt at first. They had shame. They hid.